Welcome to the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley's meeting for the week of September 18th, 2023. I love the idea of technology. It comes through in a lot of themes that we've had recently in our meetings, and this week is no different. Maggie Grout is helping build 3D printed honeycomb buildings in Madagascar. How cool. Like the idea of making housing more affordable, sustainable, and available to help the idea of housing and shelter and schools, the idea that, that we can leverage that technology and that step forward is really exciting. I think that the more we can talk about these innovative ways to uh, help and support people is just is very exciting. So I hope that you enjoy this week's program and have a great week. Welcome, everybody. This is the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley. Every week, we bring you the stories of people who are doing all sorts of interesting things to improve the lives of others locally, globally, and digitally. We're part of Rotary International, 1.4 million Rotarians and Rotaractors around the world, over 36,000 clubs. These are people in their communities who figure, hey, I can, I can put my time, talent, and treasure into making little things or big things happen you know, for those in my community in need. And, and there is something kind of beautiful about, about being inspired each week by what people can make happen together. So we hope you're excited about that with regard to its, its function in, in Rotary. Our club is online, obviously, the E-Club of Silicon Valley, Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley. And it is asynchronous. We don't have a set meeting time. So anytime between Monday morning and Sunday night, you can join uh, our, our website and take in the content in order to uh, to attend a meeting. We hope you'll do so. We're very proud of the, the programs that we're able to bring in and share with the world. Along those lines, we have speaking to us today, Maggie Grout. Maggie has done something that speaks to so many different interests of mine that I just, you know, when I read her story, I was like, oh my goodness, we have to get this person as a speaker. So in addition to being somebody who believes strongly in the power of education, uh, she ha is the CEO and founder of the non of the NGO Thinking Huts. And Thinking Huts is about 3D printing schools in communities where a school is needed. Uh, hopefully you read her bio on the way in. If you did not, pause the video and you can scroll up uh, to see the, the full write-up on our page or scroll down to see that same information on our YouTube page. And with that, Maggie, I'm going to hand it over to you. Welcome to the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Like you had mentioned, I started the nonprofit Thinking Huts and we utilize architectural scale 3D printing to construct schools. And right now we're primarily working in Madagascar, but we would love to scale to other countries. We've received over 15 requests. It's a matter of capacity, I think, um, because it's such a huge need around the world. So today I'm going to give a presentation of what we've done so far and then the next project called the Honeycomb Campus. But before that, I would love to start from the very beginning. This is usually what people are most interested in and the origin story. So I was born in a rural village in China and I was later adopted around 18 months old. So growing up, I knew what poverty looked like and how many opportunities you really have because of education. And I do think that influenced the rest of my life trajectory, at least knowing how my path could have turned out a lot differently. And so this is what led me to starting Digging Huts back in 2015. I was 15 at the time and I'm 23 now. So I've been worked on, on it for quite a while. 
and I graduated two years ago. So I feel like I'm on the early stage of this career endeavor, but I'm looking forward to seeing where we can take it. I think what I've noticed is a lot of people typically expect innovation and technology solutions to be more in the venture capital area, which I'm sure most of you may um, realize being in the Silicon Valley group. But we're really interested in seeing how it can have more social impact implications. And the problem we're addressing primarily is um, in sub-Saharan Africa, where one million out of school children total, over half of them live in sub-Saharan Africa. And in Madagascar, about 45% of these kids are not enrolled in school. And this is because of things such as long travel distances and overcrowding. And they're, no, they're not being an existing infrastructure in place. Um, whereas here in the U.S., we have the school buildings. It's maybe more of a, a systemic type of thing in terms of teachers and other um, relative factors. But in Madagascar, there really is no existing infrastructure. And that's where we are primarily working. We're serving families making less than the equivalent of $3 a day in communities where one in three children attend beyond primary school. So it's very rare that you will see people making it past secondary into higher education. And then these high impact areas that we are focusing on have really no infrastructure existing there. So we're also incorporating things like water wells and internet. And in this next project that I'll talk about later, we're incorporating solar power. Most recently, we opened Madagascar's first 3D printed school. It's the second in the world built this way for the walls. Uh, the total print time was about 18 hours and then about 12 days to do the rest of the roof door and windows because it is a hybrid design. We're still intentional with employing local workers and also training on 3D printer operations. And we also tried to um, employ more women. So the last project, it was about 30% on our local construction team. And then our upcoming project is called the Honeycomb Campus. This is the plot of land it will be on. The completed project will have eight huts, um, a canteen, and toilets. And this is what is currently in progress here. We're trying to currently ship the printer from Italy. And then once it's on site, then we can finish out the rest of the construction. And then, as I had mentioned before, we do go beyond school building infrastructure. So the 3D printing is what sets us apart. But we're also thinking ahead about the long-term impacts and longevity with Wi-Fi access since these are remote areas. And then also making sure water is accessible and then through power with solar as well. And then the main advantages people are curious about with 3D printing is mainly three things that I tend to cover. So the speed, it's much faster than traditional methods pertaining to like mud bricks and sticks and things like that, which are more easily available there. It's also stronger. So the um, school itself is designed to last at least 100 years because the proprietary cement mixture can endure stronger environmental pressures. And then it's also scalable. Um, so as we're able to print more in one construction period, we can also see cost reduction. And then the other things that we do incorporate um, through our innovation is that we prioritize the needs of the people we serve. So we're ensure that we're actually needed there before we select a location and implement a project. And then we also um, train local labor and then pay at 
fair wages to boost the local economy and also um, creating new skill opportunities. And then for the last thing, I just wanted to share an animation. It might be easier to, to understand. But the printer itself is about 15 feet in height. So three of me. And it has more of like a layering process. I try to explain it more like icing a cake. So the honeycomb like centering, like it does not have insulation because of the climate in Madagascar, but it's still quite structurally sound for the internal sections here that you can see on screen. And then the shape of it itself is resembling like a honeycomb from the bees. And that was an intentional choice too, to not only pay respect to traditional huts that exist there, but also the symbolism of community, because what we're really doing at Thinking Huts is bringing together various partners from around the world to make this vision come to life and increase access to education. So that's it for me today. I tried to keep it quite brief so I can answer any questions now that you may have. Good stuff, Maggie. Thank you very much. Well, uh, but before we, we get to the questions, I'll have you stop sharing and we'll introduce the group that we have on the recording. Uh, so uh, all of you out there, just be prepared to wave at the camera when I mention you uh, visiting us from the the uh, District 7040 Passport Club in Canada is a friend who was one of the charter members of our club, Chris Cochran. Chris, thank you for being with us. And then from our club, a whole bevy of folks here in California, Susan and Phil and Andrea and Sandy and Mike and and me, Rushton. In Canada is President Nick, and in Italy is our treasurer, Cecilia. So Maggie, starting starting this off, there's a number of questions about about the business model and costs. Uh, Sandy asks how much how much a 3D printer costs, the the kind that you use. So I did negotiate like a longer term payment structure with our printer partner. So for us, it's much lower than I, you would anticipate. So I would say about 150000 but typically they can get up the millions depending on the company that is supplying it. And then I did see for the classroom. So on average, we tend to say around 50000 per hut. And then as we're able to scale it, we're trying to get it closer to 20000 just with the economies of scale we had mentioned before. Makes sense. And, and is there a selection? This is a question from Andrea. Is there a selection process for what a neighborhood gets a school? Is And how how is the plan for future development? So, so far, since we have been able to get the press to cover our work, um, people tend to reach out to us and then we consider it that way and see if it makes sense like logistically. For example, this plot of land that we're doing the Honeycomb Campus on, it's closer to a port because the first school we did, it was quite far away with the trucks and the printer does have an opportunity to get damaged. So things like that, we sort of factor in. And then, of course, how many people it would be serving and would it be able to, I guess, really make a large impact as a central hub because there are lots of places that may need a school, but we have to make sure like it is accessible to the villages that it would be then serving for the next um, however many generations. All right. 3D printing question. Uh, so so according to the, the questioner, many of us are familiar with desktop, desktop 3D printing, but had no idea that it can scale up for big structures. 
Are they made of the same plastic that desktop users, machines use, or is it something different? It is something different. That's a common question we do get. So we don't use plastics. A bit for us, it's a cement mixture. So it basically it comes in a, a bag and then you'll mix it on site um, with water and then it extruded through the printer nozzle. And then, yeah, once it's fully cured, then it's much stronger than a traditional cement might be. And a great question for Mike. Uh, how much training is needed for locals to participate in the process of, of building the school? So they do need to go through a specialized training to understand how the printer works and be able to facilitate that. So we have more like visual documentation because there's another barrier with the language. So it is sometimes challenging if we were to try to like communicate directly. But we also do like in person support systems so they can i guess at the same time work together with the technician from the particular 3d printer company to see how it works before they would then go on their own but i would say probably another couple more years of really learning before they would be fully autonomous because it is a very specialized type of expertise you would need that makes sense uh cecilia asks how you get teachers for these schools once they're built so we work with local partners. So we're primarily in the infrastructure project management of it and making sure that it can be funded because that's the largest gap we found. Like people have trouble trying to then finance these types of projects because it takes a long time and it, it's a quite a high um, barrier to entry. So then we have the local um, partners able to do the day-to-day -day operations and the maintenance and finding teachers to then facilitate the learning. There's several questions along these lines of sustainability. As Susan asks, what are the ways you are working to make this as a project sustainable? So in terms of environmental sustainability with 3D printing, it actually reduces uh, carbon emissions because the precision of the technology allows us to use less of the material um, with the hollowed walls and then as well as just the amount of waste produced because you're able to sort of calculate that ahead of time. Um, within the program in the 3D file itself um, when they're doing that in the design process before construction. And then um, other things we're trying to watch out ahead for. So the solar panels, like how do you power the school long term? And then just the overall sustainability of it being used by the, the community itself and the students um, by making sure all the facilities are there. Because Usually in developing countries, like people do not have access to water or to toilets and sanitation facilities like that. So that can also be a barrier to people attending school. So just making sure we um, take that into account in any project we do. Okay. Sandy asks, which country was the first where, where you tried this? Is it Madagascar? Yes, Madagascar is where we're um, primarily focusing efforts on right now. But long term, we do plan to scale elsewhere. It just is very com complicated in terms of government relationships as well. So we probably wouldn't do that in the next three years or so. But we are looking more seriously into Kenya since it's more similar country-wise. So... Along those lines, you know, you, you told a little bit about the origin story. You know, there's, there's your connection to China. There's being here in the United States. And it'd be hard to find a spot on the planet that's farther from both than Madagascar. How did you get connected to Madagascar? 
So I considered several countries, could have been South America. I had considered other countries in Asia too, and we even get requests in the Middle East, but I understood like where we started would be very important. Um, where we were going to work, we needed to be welcomed and also addressing a real need because the education problem itself is quite expansive. And in Madagascar, infrastructure is the top need, whereas in other places it may not be. And then a lot of other things just align with the people and like the personal connections made. So with the last school, we partnered with a university. And so we're really trying to be more of like, I guess you would call it here, like a feeder school where we're trying to get people through primary and secondary and then able to attend the universities in country because often they go to Europe because sort of like they just want to get other opportunities and then they often do not come back in country. So it's a loss of, I think, a lot of brain power and potential. Nick has a question. Nick, go ahead and unmute and and ask away. Yeah, my, my question actually is it ties into, we're very fortunate to have met you today and we've had other great speakers in the past. And one of the ones that struck my, my, my connection here is, was for uh, the CEO and founder of Hello Tractor and how he was trying to make it as a scalable solution. It's not that he was solving a problem, but that he was, he has a, that, that can expand out beyond. And I'm curious if you've thought about how you could make this a model that you could encourage others to help help and pick up and like you said take it to kenya or take it to somewhere else yes so the thoughts on that would be to partner with a much larger established nonprofit that would have like the funding and the existing like relationships with the communities already and they would be able to then scale it because we essentially have like the project management and technical expertise that we could offer um Usually in for-profit, that may not be something people would want to do, but how I see it is like our end goal is to not really exist because we're trying to um, fill a real um, need in the world. So that would be the end goal for other nonprofits to be able to um, replicate it for us. We'll be able to, to share some contacts with you that might, might be useful along those lines. I'm thinking about Robert Freeman and the Global Uplift Project and some other others that we, we have highlighted in, in our space. Andrea asked a question about, about programs in place to keep kids in school, especially girls in, in developing communities where, where that, that may be a challenge. How, how, how within your system is that a part of how you pitch to local communities about making the school itself sustainable, pedagogically speaking? I think a lot of where we come from is asking like what is the current obstacles. So that is where then the toilets came in. So making sure we, we design those in addition so that they would feel safe um, to go there. And then also within that, like reducing the walk to go to school also helps because a lot of times they wouldn't make that walk because they would just stay at home because they just don't have the supplies there. So within the toilets we've designed for this Honeycomb campus, there is like running water and things like that. So anything like that can be um, used for cleaning anything. And then in terms of like other programs itself, um, we are not directly involved in terms of curriculum. Um, it's more so in the design side, like how do we factor in particular community needs, um, especially pertaining to girls. But I think like the main thing that comes to mind is really 
um, I would say the toilets as being an obstacle for girls in developing countries to going to school. All right. So what we're going to do is I'm going to call for a kind of final round of questions. Let me know in the chat. Speak a little bit more about, about your experience with Madagascar on a personal level. Like, um, have you been there? Oh, yes. So a fun fact is I tell people I'm also the construction slash project manager. So I'm there on the ground, like trying to facilitate between everybody. It's a bit chaotic, but um, I think that is what I really enjoy the most. Like, I don't think anybody really likes fundraising and things like that. But I think it's really cool just to see things like come to life in person and then also getting like the real time reactions of people because it's just something so new and they're just so excited to be involved. And then also I just like being able to listen, I think, to people's hopes and dreams, not just for themselves, but like their families, because they do tend to have children quite young. And that's um, another thing I do think is an effective education, like people being able to have other options um, in their life and not getting married so young. And so, you know, thinking about those trips you've made to Madagascar, I mean, can, can you tell a story about interacting with people in a particular community or, or, or being in, in Madagascar and Bougainvillea or somewhere else uh, that, that really kind of captured the, the need for the work that you do? Yeah, so I remember for that, one week just opened at the opening ceremony, I met this young father, Herman, and he was telling me how he was just so inspired because he feels that this will be so hopeful, not just for this community, but the whole country and that they can dream to do more things in life because they often told me that like entrepreneurship isn't really a normal thing. Like people don't have that as a consideration. Like their aspiration is maybe to be a truck driver, to work um, in the fields or even the mines and things like that, because that is what is normal to them. And so I found it to be very fascinating, I think, and eye-opening too, because here in the U.S., people, if you ask somebody in first grade, they're probably going to be aiming to be an astronaut or something like that. So I think that was the biggest thing that I think stuck with me. Oh, fantastic. I think that's a, that's a good one for us to, to wind things down on. Everyone, I'm going to uh, do our, 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 our normal finish. Maggie, I'll then hand it back to you for the final word. Rotarians who are visiting us, thank you very much for taking time to join the Rotary E-Club in Silicon Valley as we record one of our programs or as you see it on our, our, our webpage or on our YouTube channel. We hope that you will find in our archives plenty of stories that are exciting to you. We hope that you'll also take a look at our podcast series. If you, as you look in the links, you might see on our page or, or in the information there, a link to the Spotify page for the best of Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley podcast series that we have, we have launched just this summer in 2023. And we ask that you do two things, that you tell us you were here. There is an attendance little, little item just a little farther down our page. Just, just put in your, your name and your email address, and that helps us understand what kind of reach uh, we're, we're establishing. It's our goal to spread these stories all over the world. And then uh, engage with our members in the Discuss section. D-I-S-T-U-S at the bottom of the Rotary page, you're going to see an opportunity to comment on this program or any other element in our meeting, whether that's the uh, learn something new that, that Shags puts together or the inspirational video or 
the information about projects or the happy and sad dollars, probably Rory making a good donation in there, something along those lines. And we ask that you do that by putting in your email address successfully. You'll get an email that you can pass along to your club secretary if you are uh, tracking your 100% attendance, which is, which is a great way to be inspired by what, what Rotary is all about. Maggie, as we always like to do, we hand it back to our speaker for the final word. What would you like for people to have in mind as they finish watching the video? Well, I would just say we always encourage volunteers. So in addition to donations, we always love to meet new people with particular skill sets that they might want to give in terms of time. And I usually direct people to the website, which is thinkinghuts.org. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> Wonderful, Maggie. Thank you so much. Everyone, you can find that link a little farther down the page. Feel free to, to take a look and to take an interest in the, the interesting things that our speakers do. We will see you next week.